Father God, we thank you for Kevin. We thank you for his love for you that is manifest. We lift him up to you now. And uh, Lord, may you reveal your truth into our hearts as Kevin speaks your word. Speak now for we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. is my sixth Sunday with you. I know that because I didn't preach one of them and this is the fifth subject I've done. So it's six Sundays, isn't it? And uh, we started off looking at Christ and we had two weeks on Jesus. We did his person, who he was, his work, what he did. Uh, we moved from uh, looking at uh, the work of Christ to the work of salvation. And then last week we uh, looked at uh, the inspiration and authority of God's word. Um, I've really just chosen five things that I would say are key to the Christian faith. There are other keys, uh, and they're not secondary. You know, th there may be more than five. I mean, the second coming, the return of Christ, it is key to the Christian faith. Um, the teaching of what is the church, who is the church, it's key to the Christian faith. But there aren't umpteen basic things. There is a, a certain part of the essentials. Uh, and if we want to understand the Christian faith, there's a Father, there's a Son, and there's a Holy Spirit. Uh, and quite often Christians have been charged of being binatarian. In other words, they just believe in the Father and the Son, binary. But there's a third person in the Trinity. We're going to read about him in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And then we're going to uh, look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. As you can see there, I've called it invisible realities. I borrowed that from Jesus because uh, that was the way he described the work of the Holy Spirit. This is Acts chapter 1. Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus. And he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions and through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised you which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Kick the Romans out. Come and rule on earth. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Oh, you could spend ages just on this chapter. They were looking intently up into the sky and he, as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. 
men, in Gal men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're not talking about the second coming. We'll do that one day, but uh, not today. Invisible realities. Why use that title? Well, partly because I like natty titles. Uh, but also Jesus in John 3 and 8 said, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And in that, he's comparing the Holy Spirit to the wind. You can't see uh, its uh, face, but you can see its effect. And we've seen the effect of the wind over the last days, haven't we? You know, trees down, storms blowing over. Let, let, let's pray and hope that that's the end of the stormy season. But who knows? Uh, and when the wind comes, it'll come like a storm. A, a very old friend of ours, John Phillips, was a lecturer when we were at Bible College. Uh, and he explained how he first encountered the Holy Spirit. He went of all places to a Methodist prayer meeting as a teenager because his mum took him. Uh, and that's just where you know, teenagers want to be. I mean, even in those days, sort of John Phillips was an old man when I knew him 40 years ago or so. 35, 40 years ago. But, you know, he said he went into that place and they were praying and seeking the Lord. And as he was sitting there, a wind came into the room, blew round the whole room and then went back up to heaven. And he literally saw this wind that came into the place, whooshed and gone. And so he said, God, if that was you, do it again. <laughs> and the wind came back into the room and circled the place and went back into heaven. He said, Mom, Mom, did you see? But nobody else saw. John Phillips, in that point, encountered the Holy Spirit and was called to be a ministry of the Assemblies of God minister for the rest of his life. We have some symbols of the Holy Spirit up there. Uh, you've got the symbol of water, of oil, of dove, of fire. Um, the problem with the symbols is you can start to think that the Holy Spirit is impersonal because water is not very personal, you know. Uh, oil, not very personal. They're all symbols. They have a meaning. We could spend the morning explaining each of the symbols. Uh, the dove is a little bit more personal, but really the person of a dove, you know, it, it's... And so people have thought that the Holy Spirit is just a force, is just an influence, is just a power, rather like electricity. You know, there's nothing personal about electricity. What it does, it does. If you plug it into the mains, you'll get the power. If you don't plug into mains, you won't get the power. But the person of the Holy Spirit is not an if, he's a he. Uh, and it's one of the big mistakes that people say of the Holy Spirit. They describe him as it as if he was simply an impersonal force. Yay! So, we're going to start with the person and go on to the work. We took two weeks on Jesus. We're just going to do one week on the Holy Spirit. Uh, but you see, the Holy Spirit is somebody to walk with uh, and to know in our lives uh, and to seek because he, he's wonderful in that he doesn't point to himself. That's what we read from John. He will not speak of himself but he will show you the things that are mine. So, so just as Jesus was always saying, don't look at me, look at the Father. 
the Father is everything. I am the Father of one. He says, anybody who's seen me has seen the Father. And Jesus has always pointed to the Father. So the Holy Spirit is saying, try look at me. Look at Jesus. Look at what he did. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is everything. So somebody filled with the Holy Spirit will have an absolute dynamic love of Jesus. It's, it, it, it's not that we say, Holy Spirit, aren't you wonderful? And wave banners about the Holy Spirit, though I have seen that done. Uh, but it's more that the Holy Spirit deepens our love of Jesus so that his name is wonderful. Jesus, 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 never have I heard a name that thrills my soul like thine. Yeah, the old ones will be with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, what wondrous grace that linked that lovely name to God. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't point to me. He doesn't point to you. He points to Jesus. Who is he? Well, he's not a force. <laughs> the Holy Scripture says that he can guide, that he can teach, that he can remind us. Uh, and the version we had said that he's an advocate. The uh, older word is comforter. You know, not just to stand up and fight for us, but to comfort and draw alongside us. Uh, and a force doesn't guide and teach and remind and advocate and comfort. You know, that, that's something that a person does. But it, it gets more real than that. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Remember that one? They were two early disciples who decided to cheat on God. You know, they wanted the kudos without the sacrifice. And so they sold a, pit of, uh, a piece of land, but they decided to keep back part of the money for themselves and brought the money as if they'd sold all the land and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, and what did Peter say? He said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, you can't lie to a force. You can't lie to electricity. You're just not bothered. But you can lie to a person. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. A a and then Paul warns the church in Ephesus. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And, and our sin grieves God. And did you know when a Christian sins, it's worse than when a non-Christian sins? The reason is that the Holy Spirit is living in us and suddenly he starts grieving. And, and so we are actually torn terribly in two directions because we are sinning against our new nature. It is not natural for a Christian to sin. It is unnatural. Isn't that weird? Because we think sin is natural. We're drawn after it and we are. That's why you have to understand that we're body, soul, and spirit, and that the Holy Spirit lives within the spirit of man, but within the flesh is still sin, and that there is a two-way tug that is going on so often. We'll come back to that, I'm sure, over the weeks and months. But we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You cannot grieve a force. People grieve. The Holy Spirit grieves. But he's not just a person. He's a divine person. <laughs> He's bigger than that. You see, he has the attributes, that's the qualities, or the personality, the persona of God. What do we find right at the beginning of the Bible as we open up in Genesis? You, you'll know the first words, the first two verses. The first person you meet in the Bible is not Adam. The first person you meet in the Bible is God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, 
And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Uh, and that's the picture is of moving creatively. So there at the beginning of time, the Holy Spirit is there. He was involved in the creation. He's there before time. He's there after time. He is eternal. He is the creator. Those are attributes of God. God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but not only that. David, when he writes his famous Psalm 139, he says, where can I flee from your spirit? If I go to the far side of the sea, I'll settle there. You're still there. If I make my bed in Sheol, down in Hades, you're there. If I go up into the heights of heaven, you're there. He's omnipresent. There is nowhere where the Spirit isn't. You can't get away from God's Holy Spirit. Christians have, have a uh, incorrect but nice saying. They say, I invited Jesus to live in my heart. No, he didn't. Jesus is in heaven. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is our advocate. He stands between God and us, pleading the blood. That's why we can be forgiven. And incidentally, there will be a day when Jesus steps out of heaven. And on that day, he will no longer be pleading the blood. He won't be standing between the Father and us. On that day, he will no longer be advocate. He will be judge. And there will be no forgiveness on that day. It will be too late. But because Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, we're saved. We have an advocate with the Father. It's wonderful. So when we say we invited Jesus into my heart, well, he's in heaven. What did we mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said, I will send another one like me. Uh, did you know there's two kinds of word for like in, I'm getting right off track now, but it's okay. Two kinds of word for like in the Bible. Yeah, uh, we bought a football uh, when we went to Africa for a group of young lads we saw playing on the street. And when it got there, it went flat. That was really sad, you know. So we go back to the shop and said, I want another one like this. Now, did we want another one that was going to go flat? We didn't want it exactly the same. We wanted another one like that one, but that worked. You see, it was like it, but different. And there are two words in the Bible. There's like, but different, and like, but the same. And when Jesus says, another one like me, what he's saying is another one exactly the same. Exactly the same. And that's why we say it's the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Jesus. And that's why we can say uh, when that Jesus came into my heart. But we don't mean the physical Jesus. We mean he sent his Holy Spirit. We're doing Trinity here, aren't we? <laughs> Very confusing. That's all right. <laughs> he is a divine person. And of course, you can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and you can only blaspheme against God. Blasphemy is a crime against God. It's against nobody else. Jesus actually said that any manner of uh, crimes will be forgiven man, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. Uh, I, I, I won't presume to fully explain or understand that, but by pushing away the Holy Spirit, we're pushing away the very one that draws us to God. Therefore, there is no bridge to walk over. You know, and you can't jump to the other side because it's just too far. It's as simple as that. So the Holy Spirit 
that are divine. And that's why we bless in the name of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, many services close with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We use those three names together and we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because there is only one God, but he reveals himself in three ways. That's the who, not the what. That's all we can do. But did you know, perhaps this is more important, we were created to be the dwelling place, the resting place of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus rested in the manger in Bethlehem, so your heart is meant to be the manger where Holy Spirit comes to dwell and to rest. He's meant to abide in us. We, we love that word. Um, when you go home today, you're going to your abode. It's the place where you live. It's the place where you're at home. The place where you feel it's okay. It's safe. It's good. And, and our heart is meant to be the abode, the home. So much so that the Bible calls us temples of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. And, and that was so from the beginning. Genesis 2 and 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The word for breath in Hebrew, and I don't do Hebrew, so I've had to take this from commentaries, but the word from breath in Hebrew is ruach. And it's the same word that is used of Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. So when it says he breathed the breath of life, he's breathing the Spirit. All the other creatures were made by a word. He commanded and they were made, but man was formed and then off, breathed into, he breathed his very breath of life, the very spirit of God was breathed into the heart, soul of Adam. And so he became a living being, a repository, a home, an abode for the Holy Spirit. That's what we are made to be. You ever feel out of sorts? I know people in the world do. And they look for something to, to live for. What's the point of life? What's the purpose? And, and we try this thing and we try that. And some people support Liverpool. <laughs> and some support Everton. You know, my brother supports Everton. Uh, some people support the Wigan Warriors. Uh, and and we, Yeah, that's me. Uh, and we try and find our meaning, our purpose in these things. Or we try and find our purpose in relationships. Or we try and find our purpose in work. It's never meant to be who we are. We are the place where the Spirit of God dwells. That's what we're meant to be, his resting place. But the problem is, man sinned. We turned away from God. And a holy spirit cannot live in an unholy house. And so the house became vacated. It's empty. And it became vacated for so long that it's falling down and ramshackle. 
And that's what we're like before we know God. There's no spirit on the inside. We're not his abode anymore. He doesn't dwell within us. And we don't understand why the house feels empty and bare and lonely. It needs the owner to come back. He needs to live within us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit just came on individuals. Occasionally and for a while. One of my favorite ones is Elijah. Uh, he has just prayed that the um, rain would come on the land because it hasn't rained for three and a half years. He didn't live around here, did he? <laughs> uh, he hasn't rained for three and a half years. Uh, and then he prays and it's the cloud the size of a man's hand is coming. And he says to the king, he says, uh, tackle up your horses, mate, <laughs> because it's going to rain. And the black clouds gather and it says the power of God, the spirit of God came upon Elijah and he ran ahead of the horses all the way to Jezreel. It was 13 miles. He outran horses in rain by the power of the spirit of God. Whoosh. Just came on him for a while. Samson, the spirit of God came upon him so that he could overcome his enemies. Even King Saul was known to be filled from time to time with the Spirit of God. And when David sinned, he said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Oh, he wanted that Holy Spirit to be present. Read Psalm 51, the dryness in his bones after sin, the absolute thirst that he needed God's presence. But it just came upon an individual for a while, was never given widely. When I once spoke about this, somebody said to me, why? Why didn't the Holy Spirit come on more people in the Old Testament? Why wasn't he given? And the answer is, Christ hadn't died yet. In fact, Jesus says that himself, John 7 and 39. Up till that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. It was only after the death of Christ that our heart was cleansed by the blood of Christ that we became a fit dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. He could come and live in our hearts once the heart was clean. And that's why he can come back. And that's why he can abide now. Because for Christ's sake, you are clean. And he is not the divine yo-yo. God doesn't throw him down into your heart. Whoosh, 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 boom, back up again. So when you sin, the Holy Spirit does not leave you. He just changes his ministry within you. Before he was comforting, now he's convicting. That's why you feel so bad. <laughs> oh, I don't like this. You know? And if you harden your heart, you're going to feel even worse because you're hardening your heart like Pharaoh did against the Holy Spirit. It's no good. You've got to soften your heart. That's why only humble people get forgiven. We have to come in humility with a soft heart and ask again for cleansing. Of course, we read it before, John the Baptist prophesied the coming of the Spirit. I baptize with water, but after me comes one whose feet I'm not fit to wash, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in the reading we read that he was going to fill them with the Holy Spirit. So, we've done the person, we've done our part. Let's looking very brief at the three main works of the Holy Spirit. And you could look at those in many ways, but three prepositions help. They're very simple words. With, in, 
and the cross. And if we can think of the Holy Spirit working in those three ways, it'll just give us some little help in what we're doing. John 14, 16 and 17, we had it read before. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. That's the invisible reality bit. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. With and in. Since the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, shock horror, he's with everybody. You see, an omnipresent God has to be with everybody. He's not just in the church. He's more experienced in the church because he's welcome. But he's with everybody. That's why when you go and share your faith with somebody, when you tell them about Jesus, when you witness, the Holy Spirit is speaking to their hearts. And it's also why they don't like it sometimes. Because in the world, he's there to convict and convert. He's to tell them about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what we read from John 16. And, and so he's convicting the heart. He's speaking to things. And sometimes if, if a person's heart is good, they'll say that's right. And they'll turn to Christ. And if their heart is hard, they'll say, no, I don't want to know that. It, it, it's why in a church, one person can be thrilled at the preaching and another one can be stony, coldly turned off. Because they're resisting the Holy Spirit. You have to be open to the work of the Spirit. So he is with us. But for a believer, <coughs> he's with us to guide us. He's with us to test. He's with us to inspire. He's with us to comfort. He's with us to guard. The ministry is different. To the believer, he's the comforter. To the non-believer, he's the convictor. You got it? That's what's going on with. What about in? He is with you, he said to the disciples, he will be in you. I think that refers to the new birth. You could argue it after them if you want. But John 3 and 5 says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit that brings us the new birth. You know, becoming a Christian is not about changing religion. It's not even about having no religion and then getting religion. Ah, sorry, silly story. Uh, I don't even know if it's true, but I remember our minister telling it me. Ezra Macclesfield. It was the first place. I was assistant pastor in Macclesfield for a while when we first got married. And Henry told this story. He was the pastor. He said uh, 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 a young man had just got converted and he went to the local CAV. Uh, and the vicar was a really good preacher. Uh, but it was quite as a, a church mouth, church. Uh, and so every now and again, the, the, the young man would get excited and he would stand up and say, Hallelujah! <laughs> and all the stewards went, Shh! Praise the Lord! And the sidesman eventually came up to him and tapped him on the shoulder. I know it's true. He said, I'm sorry, you're putting the vicar off his stride. He says, I, I, I know. He says, but I got religion. He says, you may have got religion some, but you didn't get it here. <laughs> Why did I tell that story? I don't know. I just remembered it. But you see, 
when he comes within us, it isn't a matter of us changing religion. It's about changing ownership. It's about changing nature. The Holy Spirit brings within our human spirits the very nature of God. And so he begins to remake us into the image we were meant to be in the first place. <laughs> ah, we again become the abode of Christ, the abode, the house of the Holy Spirit. It's explained in Ephesians, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. And as the Holy Spirit comes in, we become alive. A and many people, when they have that experience, they just know. They know that they're saved. They know that they're forgiven. They know that Christ is in their hearts and lives. We call it assurance. The Bible says the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the sons of God or the children of God. That's it. You, you know. You don't need anybody to tell you. Uh, 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 and folks, when I was first saved, would say, how do you know? How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're going to heaven? And how do you say to them? I have that inner witness. That's it. Be Methodist. Free Methodist or, you know, it's, it's different. That's it. We know by the witness of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. He's in us. What about a promise? The, the problem is you can stop at any one of these levels, you see. You can be very happy with the Spirit being with you. You can be very happy with the Spirit being in you. But the upon is something more. It says of Jesus, Jesus reading in Luke 18, uh, Luke 4 and 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Uh, uh, and that word anointed is the same word as Christ. There's only three people that were anointed in the Bible, prophets, priests, and kings. And Jesus' anointing did not happen with a bottle of oil. That's the oil symbol of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the prophet would go and break a bottle of oil over the head of the priest or the king. And it would pour down upon them. And that rich anointing would be a symbol of God's presence and power coming on them. But that happened to Jesus at his baptism in the Jordan. When the Holy Spirit came about him, he didn't pour a bucket of oil on his head. <laughs> would have been funny looking at that from heaven, wouldn't it? Yeah, of course. But the Holy Spirit came down and remained upon him. That's significant. John might have seen the Spirit come upon others, but he says it's the one whom he comes upon and remains. And he remains upon people. Jesus is the only one that could take the Spirit without measure because he's the only one that is completely holy. We do have problems with the Holy Spirit because we still have a lot of unholiness hanging about within us. You know? So, the Holy Spirit comes upon. Why will he come upon us? Well, it's so that we can be anointed for the job he has us to do. It is a power to witness. Acts 1.8, I read it before, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He clothes us with the power of God that we may do the thing that he wants us to do. Where God calls, 
God's supply. And it means that we don't have to set out on any form of ministry, whether it's witnessing to our neighbor next door who we're terrified of, you know, or, or, or going into work to witness for Christ there. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, he can come. So the question is, which level are you interacting with the Holy Spirit? Uh, and it can move. Uh, and there is some uh, overlap. You know, if, if he's in you, he's going to be with you, isn't he? <laughs> if he's upon you, you know, he's likely to be in you as well. So d don't take these as too hard and fast. But it, it just helps us in our understanding. With him and upon. But of course, it isn't just a once and forever filling. Um, it's like the story I'm sure you've heard from Nicky Gumbel, those who've been on Alpha, of the young man that went to the front of the uh, a church to be filled with the Holy Spirit and was prayed for and was filled. And a week later, he came back again and was prayed for again to be receiving the Holy Spirit. And they were a bit worried about it. And then the third week, he came out a third time and they said, well, didn't you receive the first time you came? He said, yes. Didn't you receive the second time? He said, yes. Well, why do you keep coming back? He said, I leaked. <laughs> and uh, that is probably the situation in that, you know, we need to be filled again and again. And it was so in the scriptures. In Acts 2 and 4, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 4 and 8, it says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wasn't he filled in chapter 2? Yeah. But by chapter 4, he needed some more. You know? Uh, in Acts 4 and 31, it says of the church, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. W weren't they filled in chapter 2? Oh, yeah. More, Lord. That's a very good prayer. More, Lord. I need more of you. Uh, in chapter 9 of Acts, Paul is in Damascus. Uh, and Ananias goes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but by chapter 13, he's in Samaria and he needs to be filled again to face Elimah. And then in Acts 13, he's in Antioch in Pisidia. And it says of the disciples, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 19, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples in Ephesus. And later Paul writes to them in Ephesus and he says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the word he uses is in the continuous tense. It's present continuous, which means do it now and do it repeatedly. Be being the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so what can we do? And this is where I close. And we can do more than this, but we shouldn't do less than this. We can pray. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Do you remember how Jesus applies it in Luke's version? This is not Matthew, this is Luke. After he said the Lord's Prayer, he then goes on to tell a story and he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you, though you're evil, need know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we should ask. It's okay to ask for the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to do that. We can ask for more of the Spirit. Uh, and there seems to be a progression there. Ask, seek, knock. 
uh, um, the seat bit, I think, would go with your deeper understanding. Um, in Ephesus, when Paul did meet this group of, of, of believers, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their reply was, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And it's very hard to believe what you haven't heard of. You know what I mean? So ask, seek. You know, try to understand. Uh, have you ever read a book about the work of the Holy Spirit? There are so many. I'm doing you a chapter. Uh, this would be a chapter in a book. If I wrote it, it would be three chapters. I'd be a person in the work. But nevertheless, we can seek to understand. One of the early ones was uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, based on the time that the Holy Spirit said. Um, and there have been so many more since. Yes. So pray that God would fill us. Deepen our understanding. And then make time or space, as it were. The Bible says, Psalm 46, Be still and know that I am and if we won't still ourselves in his presence, our tendency to think we should be doing something will push out the door. You've got to be able to still yourself. We are human beings. I'm sure you've heard this. Not human doings. Yeah? And we seem to think that life is about the winner is the one that done the most. Or, if not done the most, got the most. Actually, the winner is the one that knows God the most. Because we're going to stand before him. And when we get there, will we be singing, What a great God have we For the last sins of each today. What a privilege are we ever seem to God and see. I trust we will. So, make time to be holy. Seek often with God, Lord. Hide yourself in his presence and ask him to fill you. It, it, it can help to soak in his presence and put music on and just say, come Holy Spirit. Uh, as long as it's not sort of a when the saints go marching in type thing. You'll be marching around the room. But something gentle. Come Holy Spirit. Rest in his presence. It can help to have the laying on of hands. Certainly Peter and John went to Samaria and they laid hands on them. But then that was the Spirit. So that's very important. So firstly, pray. Secondly, deepen your understanding. Third, take time. Uh, and then lastly, make room. And we've got the famous uh, jar of water full of stones. Uh, and you know as well as I do that the more stones you take out, the more water you can put in the jar. Uh, and sometimes for Christians, with too many stones in his life, too many things filling us up. Uh, and some of them might be just grand stuff. But actually it needs taking out to give more room for God. Some of it might be not so grand stuff. It might be the anger that comes out through our lips. It might be the weight we... You know, more sins are committed in the home than almost anywhere else. Because when we go home and close the door, we let our guard down, you know. And suddenly at home, we feel safe to say stuff we wouldn't possibly say to people on the street, you know. But at home, oh, yeah, 
you know. I, I, and we'll just speak out of turn. We'll get wrathy and angry. I'm rubbish when I'm calm. You know, that's when I'm snapped. My poor wife, you know. And, and we have to be careful. And we have to put it right with each other. And we have to put it right with God. But we've got to take these stones out. Because the more rubbish we take out, what do we call it? Repentance and confession. doesn't mean that you've earned the Holy Spirit. You can't earn the Holy Spirit. But unless we repent and confess, there might not be room for the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? We've got to make that room in God. So repent and confess it. And as we do these things, we're opening our hearts so that we might my first experience of the Holy Spirit was at a Trevor Deering meeting. Some of you will have heard of Trevor Deering. He's an old man now. Um, and I didn't really know what was happening, but I went out to be prayed for. I was a very young Christian to be filled with spirit. He laid hands on me and uh, I fell down. I have no idea why I fell down. Stood up again. Didn't feel that different. Went home. Talked to my friend Robert about it. He'd led me to the Lord. And I'd been a Christian like three months. He says, has the Lord let you down? I said, no. He says, Lord, let you down now. So go home and try and speak in tongues. And so I knelt by the bedside. I'd like to speak in tongues, please, Lord. So I tried. So I got one word for about a week. Now, I don't know what that word might be. It could have been praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But at the end of the week, I got a bit frustrated. I said, oh, Lord, I want more. I want a language. It said you can speak in languages, not words. And at that point when I got serious and asked God to fill, suddenly the language came. And I spoke. And, and, and God will meet us when we seek him with all our heart. So we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, an invisible reality. Who he is? He is God, the Holy Spirit. We were made for him to dwell in our hearts and lives. And, and, and when we make our hearts an abode, a place where he dwells, we become the people we were meant to be. He can be with us. He can be in us. He can come upon us. He will never leave us once we've believed, but we do need repeated filling. And in order to do that, we need to pray, we need to understand, we need to make faith and we need to confess that God would meet with us today. How much more of the Holy Spirit do you need? Well, he's omnipotent. <laughs> oh, there's so much more. And only Jesus had him beyond measure. He could have a new measure and a new measure and a new measure as we seek him. Come, Holy Spirit, just Bless your people as we know your presence. And may we walk more deeply with you. Lord Jesus, come. Show us the Father. Lord Jesus, come. Amen.